Welcome to The Brief podcast. I'm Jonathan Ames, co-editor of The Brief. It's 10 years since the Legal Services Act was implemented. At the time, there were fears that it would create either Tesco law or IRA or even mafia law. Neither of those two things has come to pass, but it certainly has changed the structure and face of the legal profession. With us to discuss the process of implementation, its origins and its ramifications of the Act are three people who were absolutely crucial at the time and indeed have evolved in their own careers to be products of the Act itself. They are Charles Lord Faulkner, now a partner at the London office of US law firm Gibson Dunn. He was the first Secretary of State for Constitutional Affairs, a post that quickly morphed into the Secretary of State for Justice and the Lord Chancellor. Lord Faulkner was the cabinet member who was responsible for introducing the 2007 Act to Parliament. Also with us is Sheila Kumar, Chief Executive of the Council of Licensed Conveyances. She's a former civil servant who was seconded by the Ministry of Justice to the Clementi Review, which kicked off and indeed was the origin of the Legal Services Act. She went on to become a director at the Law Society. And also down the line from Liverpool is Andrew Holroyd, President of the Law Society in 2007-08 when the Act was implemented. And he is currently Executive Chairman of Jackson Lees, a Liverpool and Manchester law firm that has, since the Act was implemented, taken up alternative business status. Welcome to you all. Lord Faulkner, in 2003, when the, uh, when Tony Blair was still the Prime Minister, uh, the government decided that something needed to be done about the what people seem to think was the, the regulatory maze uh, around the legal profession. What was the rationale in, first of all, setting up, in, in asking David Clementi to do the review? Well, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't I suppose, that long since uh, the Conservative government had pretty profoundly shaken the legal profession with the Courts and Legal Services Act 1990. Yeah. What was the rationale? Why did, why did the government at the time think that it was, uh, it was a good idea to have another round of profound legal services reform? Because the legal profession uh, remained focused on the concerns of the lawyer and too little concerned on the focus of those who used legal services. The problem was there wasn't enough price competition, there wasn't enough understanding of what services were available. You were completely at the mercy in too many cases of what your lawyers said you had to do and it was too expensive. Those were the issues that were driving the setting up of the Clementi profession. Could you preserve the important role of an independent legal profession to preserve the rule of law, but at the same time give a much better deal for those who use legal services? So that was the rationale. Why David Clementi? He had experience of, of competitive issues. He's an incredibly impressive individual, and he was both somebody who knew about how professions worked, but at the same time was an innovator. Andrew, um when the profession uh, first got wind that more reform was at least being mooted, how would you describe the, the reaction at the time? I suppose both is a bit of a two-pronged question because there's the reaction of, uh, at, the, at, the, at the sort of establishment end of the legal profession, the Law Society, the Bar Council, uh, and then the lawyers practising on the ground. Sometimes those two don't always marry up, as, I, as I'm sure you're aware. But, but I mean, what, what was the reaction generally, do you think? Well, I think the reaction in the council was that we were expecting uh, more reform. I think uh, I'd add another dimension to the one that Lord Faulkner meant, which was the, the uh, regulation and representation being together. 
and I think there was a recognition that actually that was, although we had to regulate and that the law society had to regulate in the public interest, uh, the perception was that these two had to be distanced and we'd expected some reform to come on that. I think the law society itself had supported um, more competition in the market, surprisingly. We'd already had debates about MDP, multidisciplinary practices, and decided that um, you know, we would support moves like that. So I don't think we were necessarily opposed to new methods of delivery of services, but we were certainly prepared for, for some change in the regulatory system. And, um, and that uh, and that was given. I mean, would, uh, do you think there was a was there a general exception acceptance? Because I mean, there, at the time, as I recall, and of course my memory may, may may be letting me down a bit, but but at the time, the law society seemed fairly convinced that self regulation was the was was the was was for the best, and that and that the law society itself was you know was was should be the regulator i mean and what so any suggestions that that, that the you know the, the regulatory st uh, structure was not was not ideal was that was that not resisted slightly well i think there was resistance in some quarters but i think in the leadership of the profession there was an expectation that things would change um uh, I, I mean i think actually we we've done a pretty good job in looking at the rule book and seeing how it needed to be changed to try and simplify it. And I was the last chair of the Standards Board, and we did quite a lot of uh, work on the, developed some of the core principles that were later taken on by the SRA. Um, but, you know, I think the fact is you cannot self-regulate in the modern world. The, the trust of the professions is, had, was dissipating, and we needed to show that this was being done with a lot of external input. And uh, it seemed to me that that was inevitable. Whether I'm sure there were others who didn't share that view, but I think uh, the leadership of the Law Society definitely accepted that this was on the cards. It was very interesting that Andrew now completely accepts one of the principles of the Act, which is you've got to separate regulation from representation. Uh, at the time, being... it was a bit more hard fought, <laughs> was it not? It was an absolute sort of bloodbath at the time of that. <laughs> now, Sheila, perhaps, I mean, uh, before we get into the, to the, to the gore of the bloodbath, but, but perhaps just tell us, when you were first presented with this, and you were, you were very much um, David Clemente's uh, right-hand woman, um, <laughs> what was the approach? I mean, was it... Um, I mean, part of the problem was that the legal profession was seen as having this labyrinth of, of regulation mm. and, and very traditional historic practices. So was analysing that and producing recommendations, you know, a bit like eating an elephant one bite at a time. How did you approach it? Well, I think David Clementi was very clear from the start that basically he was going to look into five key regulatory matters that were part and parcel of the terms of reference. And one was the level of self-regulation. The second was complaints handling and discipline and how that could be done in the modern world. The second was around unregulated providers and regulatory gaps. And then, of course, new business structures and and the whole thing about self-regulation um, and the regulatory maze was the fact that there were 23 regulators who all touched on certain things, actually modern-day regulation. He added something which was also that he felt there was inconsistency and that the landscape that existed wasn't flexible enough to be able to deal with a rapidly changing landscape. So I th that was very clear very early on and actually in looking back to 
his first statement in October 2003, he set out the five things he was going to have a look at. They were very much reflected in the first consultation document that went out round about December 2003. So actually, there was a structure very early on about how we were going to deal with the terms of reference. And I think that clarity at the start actually helped us to deliver in what was a relatively short time frame. Mm. And looking at the work that had done been, been done before, because of course there had been the OFT report, Competition in Professions, in 2001. There had been what was then the Department of Constitutional Affairs, own scoping study and report. And quite quick movements then, I think, from when that report was reported on to the announcement of the review. So I think background and context was used. Um, I think uh, Sir David was also very clear that he wanted to engage with a wide as possible a group of stakeholders as, as was possible within the time frame. Um, but I think, as I say, setting out that clarity about what he was going to look at early on actually made it much more manageable. In, in, the, in the context of uh, government uh, commission reviews, this did happen quite quickly, didn't it? It was, it was about, a bit, about a year, that, uh, or maybe a little bit more, that, uh, from, from commission to, <laughs> to, to, to filing the report. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, you, you refer to the... Um, Speaking to the, you know, get, getting as much input as possible mm. from from as, as wide a group as possible. How, how did you find the profession reacting to 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 the, to the contact you had with them? I think it was an ine- inevitable that um, some members of the legal profession uh, were much more worried, concerned, um, would have preferred perhaps the status quo to mm. continue to exist, and were very happy to put up the arguments about why the status quo should continue to exist. But I think it's also fair to say that there were some real champions within the legal profession of people who wanted to take it forward because they could see that actually the the landscape that existed then Go on, you wasn't can, you can a name, landscape. We can name names time. today. Who no, no, but I mean, I think just generally, you know, mm. if we look at the Bar, the Law Society mm. and across others, you know, there were always some people who really wanted to take this on mm. and say, actually, yes, there's probably right. Why is, why is legal services regulation so different from every other sort of professional services regulation? Mm. Is there a justification? Mm. And actually, that justification probably didn't exist. Mm. And when one also looks at what's happened now, and I know we'll be coming on to that, there's something about having a framework that was endurable for the future, and I think that's part of the creation and the really positive legacy of what happened through the Clementi Review and the Legal Services Act. Now, Lord Falkland, when, when um, as I say, the, the, the report seemed to have been done in double-quick time and landed on <laughs> your desk... Um, how did you translate that into draft legislation, and, and what, 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 did, what was your reaction to the report, and what did you, what, what did you think was, at the time? <coughs> I was favourable to the report. Mm. Um, lawyers are incredibly good at resisting change because they argue well as to what's good about the existing system. Uh, the thing about David Clementi was he's a big, uh, substantial intellect, so he was able to take on the lawyers and argue his case incredibly effectively. Uh, we commissioned in 2003, the report was produced in 2004, regu- uh, we turned it into legislation during 2006, it takes a long time to do um, detail into legislation, but we were keen and we announced very quickly. That there, must would, have been, there must have been quite strong cabinet support for it. I uh, very strong uh, cabinet support. The, 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 the balance that had to be struck was you had to open up 
the legal profession, but you had to ensure that you preserved the importance of an independent legal profession to protect the rule of law. And David Clementi was very aware of that mm. throughout. In things like this, and the judges are the same, you've always got to be able to disentangle what are the genuine constitutional things you've got to preserve against what are in effect trade union issues that the lawyers are raising. So could they go on justifying all dealing with their own complaint system, saying, oh, you know, unless you're a lawyer, you don't understand properly why people are complaining and that most complaints are bogus. That line had to be got rid of because that's much more a trade union than a constitutional issue. Clementi got it right in relation to where the line had to be drawn. So we were very happy to uh, uh, adopt it. Uh, we adopted it. Uh, there were some changes, but not significant to the substance of it. And then we embarked on the legislative process, which then, as it were, revealed huge amounts of opposition to it amongst certain parts of all of the legal professions. But, as you said, significant support and recognition that things had to change. Mm-hmm. Now, Andrew, um, when, you, when the report... Uh, was was published and then began to morph into legislation. Uh, again, uh, Lord Faulkner has suggested that there was um, quite significant opposition. I mean, how, how would you characterise that period between report and drafting legislation until we and, 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 and the final look of the legislation? Yes, I mean, inevitably there were people who, who didn't want change, but I think we have had experience of running a complaint system as the profession for some time, and quite frankly, it had not been a success. And I think there was a recognition that actually if we could uh, get it done externally, it would be better for the profession, uh, as as I think has turned out to be. Mm. And also, you've got to remember that the Law Society Council actually distanced regulation from representation well before the Act came into force. We set up the the SRA um, reasonably independently and really without prompting... um, well, obviously, Clementi was the background to this. Mm. This was coming. We had to do it. But Sheila will remember, because I think at that time you'd come on the other side of the fence somewhat. Yes, I um, do remember and- a poacher turned gamekeeper comment being mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. When you, you came to the Law Society to help us um, Im- mm. implement things from our side of the fence. And but I it, think that, to some extent... The problem yeah. was it wasn't truly independent. Was it? That was the difficulty. The SRA, I mean, it's always been, uh, I mean, we've come on to this perhaps in, in, our, in our discussion of the, uh, of the ramifications of the Act, but um, whether in, in, when conceiving the regulatory structure, did you anticipate more independence, complete total independence of the regulator rather than the situation now where there's, a, there's still a, a connection, albeit an arm's length? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I think that is, I mean, I think... If I may say, I think the Law Society is saying actually there should be no common membership between the SRA and the Law Society Council was a very good move because it, it, it did demonstrate that actually um, we were going to distance the two. That there has been, uh, we did uh, say that there should be a solicitor chair of the SRA to start with, and that's now been changed by to a lay chair. But to be honest, um, we had a, a substantial, I can't remember what the proportion was of lay, but I think it was either equal or... Now, but Sheila, can, can you remember? Sheila, can I just ask you, um, when, when, when in report stage and then Lord Faulkner at legislation stage, did you envisage, did you think at the time what we want is really true independence here rather mm. than, a, uh, than, a, than a hybrid? 
I think, I mean, obviously uh, the report came down in favour of what was labelled Model B+. And Model B Plus was really saying that there should still be, um, there didn't need to be a sort of legal services authority in the sort of financial services authority approach. There could still be other any other bodies underneath. But there was a crucial aspect which, um, for various reasons, didn't find its way into the Act, and I think <coughs> it's understandable that it didn't, which was that all powers would have been vested in the Legal Services Board, subject to tests of separation, which was all around governance. Um, so, yes, I think there was actually something that said it's right that there can still be, in a sense, professional-led regulation, but there has to be absolute separation between regulation and representation. And that remains a struggle. I mean, let's not forget that the Legal Services Board is only just now consulting on internal governance rules because even since the 2007 Act, whether or not there is really, truly hands-off on regulation or not is still an issue Mm. and therefore it still clouds public perception and frankly Jonathan this isn't a question of just sort of a little bit of tidying up there is something real about regulators being able to deal at the speed that regulation needs to move Mm. um, unclouded by other considerations. And Lord Faulkner did did the government at the time sort of fail to grasp the complete nettle on that? Not as structurally divided as uh, David Clementi had advised is there genuine separation yes there most certainly is do you think that the solicitors regulatory authority and the bar standards board to take the two main uh, regulators would be perceived now to be part of the representative function of either the bar or the solicitor profession most certainly not the position before was completely different uh, i am not sure i necessarily agree with sheila when she says the perception is that they are regarded as still being too close to the professions i don't think that is the case at all i think both of them now have chairs who are non-lawyers non-solicitors or non-barristers and they are pretty separate and have rows quite significantly over a period of time with the solicitors and the barristers respectively they look to me very independent i agree that the structure is not as completely separated as david clementi initially envisaged but the outcome we sought has been delivered